0: Robert Hansen was born in 1944. He was born um, in a suburb of Chicago, pretty normal family, grew up in a normal post-World War II American household and uh, went to high school, graduated high school, went to Knox College where he got his bachelor's degree and unsure of what to do, he, he uh, went to dental school at Northwestern University in Evanston, Illinois, and uh, didn't like that so much and decided to get his master's Master's of Business Administration an MBA from Northwestern and uh, was successful doing that went into the workaday world uh, uh, dated a woman he decided to marry uh, and uh, in that decision he uh, went uh, from his Lutheran tradition to a Catholic tradition uh, and uh, very committed to it though and uh, very committed to his faith part of the uh, Catholic organization known as Opus Dei it was uh, means literally the work of God and, and uh, trying to live out the gospel in everyday life. Uh, was in the business world till, till 34 years of age and he decided to apply and was accepted to the FBI, became an FBI agent. And uh, Robert Hansen uh, was committed in terms of his faith, committed in terms of you know doing what's right for his country. And uh, 1976 began that career. And no one knows why it happened, no one understood it and probably still don't to this day. But in 1979, Robert Hansen made a decision. The decision was that he would begin to be a spy for the Soviet Union. And for the next 22 years of his life, Robert Hansen uh, divulged uh, top secret information uh, for no other reason than great financial reward. There was a spy in the camp, someone that uh, betrayed all that he seemingly was committed to both in his profession and in his faith. We're gonna look at a parable today. It's called the parable of the weeds or or the older uh, tradition as the parable of of the wheat and the tares. And it's found in Matthew 13. Uh, Gary mentioned it. This whole chapter is a chapter of parables that Jesus gave about the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God, a a time where God is in control and his purposes are lived out in this world. So I wanna read our Passage is found in Matthew 13, beginning with verse 24. The kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while everyone was sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. When the wheat sprouted and formed heads, then the weeds also appeared. The owner's servants came to him and said, Sir, didn't you sow good seed in your field? Where did the weeds come from? An enemy did this, he replied. The servants asked, do you want us to go and pull them up? No, he answered, because while you were pulling the weeds, you may uproot the wheat with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. At that time, I'll tell the harvesters, first collect the weeds, tie them in bundles to be burned, then gather the wheat and bring it into my barn. This is the word of God what are these weeds? Uh, old, older translations call them tares, T-A-R-E. Uh, a tear, uh, or this weed was a, uh, a weed called the bearded darnel. It was a, a species of ryegrass that, it, that is pretty common in Eurasia. And uh, it, it uh, was really uh, a problem for farmers in terms of sowing their crops. Uh, it's called the bearded darnel. Here's a picture of it. Uh, this is uh, this weed that's that's finally fully uh, given off its fruit. These seeds on, on this this uh, weed are actually poisonous, and they, they cause uh, great distress if they're ingested. And uh, in the field, it would look something like this. You've got these these green shoots that come up. And, and uh, when the beard, beard of Darnell grows with wheat, it looks exactly the same. Little green shoots, and you don't really know if it's a weed or not, or wheat, until the fruit appears. This is... Uh, this is Jesus using this uh, agricultural metaphor to explain the kingdom of God. So why this parable? And, and you know, what, what do we see in this? Here, here are three things that I see in it, and, and hopefully they can be helpful to you. Uh, the first thing I see is that God is the one who's in control. We are not. God's in control you're like me, I need to be reminded of this over and over again. All control, I tell people all the time when I counsel them, all control is an illusion. You think you're in control? You're really not. We do things to try to order our lives, certainly. We we try to make good decisions, but ultimately, we we aren't in control. I love a passage in in, uh, 1 Samuel talking about the uh, person of Jonathan, Jonathan, the son of King Saul, the first king of Israel, and, and they are fighting the Philistines. And Jonathan is with uh, his armor bearer. He's all alone, but they're, uh, they see this outpost of, of Philistine warriors. And, and he says this in, in 1 Samuel 14, 6, Jonathan said to his young armor bearer, come, let's go over to the outpost of, of those Philistines. Perhaps perhaps the Lord will act on our behalf. Nothing can hinder the Lord from saving, whether by many or by few. I love that, it's called the perhaps principle. Jonathan says, hey, we're here to fight. We don't, I don't know what's gonna happen, but, the Lord is in control, and perhaps he'll give them over to us. Nothing can hinder the Lord from saving, whether by many or by few. I have confessed to you before, I don't know if you've heard me give this message, it was years ago, but I, I do not like hurricanes. I don't know if you can identify with me on this. I really, I have an emotional, negative emotional response to hurricanes. I do not like them. Uh, I, I, I've dismissed them in a cavalier manner before I moved to Florida. 2004 hit, three hurricanes came over, just came over my house is what they did. They just came over my house. Uh, my roof was ruined, all, all sorts of things happened. I have not liked hurricanes ever since. So I, I have shared with, with this congregation that uh, I've, I've made the commitment when a hurricane looks like it's coming through, I'm just gonna leave town as, as bravely as I can. I'm just gonna say bye and, and leave. and. Uh, Half in jest, half serious. So, so Wednesday, Hurricane Dorian is. Remember Hurricane Dorian? Remember, remember the predictions of Hurricane Cory, the the big two over Orlando. I remember that that uh, several days before there was a you know class two hurricane over Orlando. I go, oh, here it comes. So this is a Wednesday before the weekend. Dorian's supposed to show up, and we're in teach team. I'm sitting in this little conference room at our Herndon camp- campus, and, and I'm the only first one there. And then Gary walks in, Gary, your campus pastor. And he says to me, oh, are you still here? <laughs> Do you believe how insensitive that is? <laughs> Gary. And then O.J. Aldrich, our campus pastor at Lake Berry comes in the door after Gary and says, oh, are you still here? Exact same words. John Parker comes in next, our lead pastor, the spiritual leader of our church. He looks at me and says, oh, are you still here? It's just wound after wound after wound. And to cap it all off, Zach, the kindest one of all, Zach Van Dyke comes in and says, oh, are you still here? I just want to report that to you for disciplinary action, okay? That's... It's all fun until you realize, oh, okay. Hurricane's a reminder that I'm not in control, right? Illness is a reminder I'm not in control. Marriage problems are a reminder that I'm not in control. Parenting is a reminder that I'm not in control. Broken relationships, work, you name it. Jesus is saying, look, God is the one who harvests. We do not. He's the one who's in control. I like Proverbs 16, Solomon writes, the lot is cast into the lap, but it's every decision is from the Lord. I like the New Living translation of this passage even better. We may throw the dice, but the Lord determines how they fall. Isn't that a good translation? It's like a Kenny Rogers country song, right? The Lord determines how they fall. He's the one who harvests, we do not. He's in control. That's the first thing I see. Second thing I see is God is patient, and we are not. God takes his time. Peter, in his second epistle, Second Peter 3, verses 8 and 9, and I'll be here a few weeks down the road, and I'll use this passage again. It's really a good one. In this passage, he says, With the Lord a day is like a thousand years. And a thousand years is like a day. God's not bound by time. And God is not impatient. He is patient with us. Peter goes on to say, he's patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. I'm not a patient person. I might appear to be patient at times. I like to give the impression that I'm patient, but a lot of times I'm pretty impatient. But that observation begs the question, why? You know, the protests, sometimes, whatever you're protesting, a lot of, the, the, this, one of the standard chants, what do we want? Justice, when do we want it? When do we want it? We want it now. We want justice now. Which is, a, I suppose, a good sentiment, but man, that, we are sometimes too fast in terms of what we want. I'm not patient. Gary talked about challenging in, in parenting. And, and uh, those of us who are parents, we understand that that's a challenge. I, 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 With my kids, my kids, I wanted them to be on the best teams. I wanted them to have the best grades. I wanted them to be in the best schools. I wanted them to have the best behavior. And I wanted it right away. My son was in middle school. We lived in Massachusetts at the time. And, and uh, he started getting homework and, and uh, wanted to, you know, see that he was doing his homework. wanted to really be diligent. wanted him to get good grades. I had a great, you know, vision for where my son should be. And he was a smart kid. So I would, uh, the year that he started getting regular homework, I would go into his room and I had a little desk there that he'd do work. And I would um, stand behind the desk and I just sort of watch him do his homework for, you know, 10, 15 minutes. I, you know, I'd make comments, you know, like, that, that's wrong, and uh, have him do it again, and uh, you know, I, I wanna help. I want him to do well. And I, I did this for about a week, and uh, one night I was in there and came out, my wife pulled me aside, and she said, hey, I've got a question for you, and, and I said, what, what's that? She said, do you wanna have a good relationship with your son, which is one of those layered questions, if you know what I mean, I <laughs> say? no? Of course I do," she said. "Stop going into his room and watch him do homework." And I said, "Well, what if he doesn't do a good job?" She said, "He'll figure it out." Oh, that was hard, but she was right. God's the one who decides when to harvest. You don't. I don't. He's patient. Third thing I see, God's, the, God's righteous and we are not. God's the focus of what's good and evil. We are not. One of the more sobering passages in all the gospels is found earlier on in Matthew, Matthew seven twenty one. Jesus is speaking. He's speaking to his followers and he says this, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. If you read the passage, people say, well, didn't we do all these miracles in your name? Did we, He said, no, you didn't do my will. Not everyone says, Lord, Lord, one of the kingdom of heaven. It's God who is our righteous standard, not our culture and not ourselves. I'm continually uh, reminded and saddened by the fact that I I tend to want to make God in my own image instead of realizing that I've been made into his. I was reading uh, something recently and they quoted um, an an article or a posting written by a guy by the name of John Cooper. And uh, John Cooper is the lead singer of a Christian rock band called Skillet. I don't know if you know Skillet, but uh, I didn't, I'd heard the name before, but I never listened to their music and uh, he wrote this this um, small article in response to several well-known christian leaders who've denounced their faith and moved on and uh, been quite damaging to to uh, to those around them and he responds in this article and i want to read a little bit of this article to you because i think he just did this beautiful job here's the picture of him. he's a pretty gnarly looking dude and uh uh, their latest album is Victorious, I downloaded, and listened to it, it reminded me of rocker days when I was a kid in high school, and uh, it's really good music. Uh, but John Cooper responds in this way. He says, okay, I'm saying it because it's too important not to. What's happening in Christianity? More and more of our outspoken leaders or influences or once faces of the faith are falling away. And at the same time, they're being very vocal and bold about it. Shockingly, they still want to influence others as they announce that they're leaving the faith. He writes, I'm stunned that the seemingly most important thing for these leaders who lost their faith is to make such bold new stance. Basically saying, I've been living and preaching boldly something for 20 years, led a generation of people with my teachings and now I no longer believe it. Therefore, I'm going to boldly and loudly tell people it was all wrong, while I boldly and loudly lead people into my next truth. I'm perplexed why they aren't embarrassed, humbled, ashamed, fearful, confused. Why be so eager to continue leading people when you clearly don't know where you're headed? Why do people act like being real covers a multitude of sins? As if someone is courageous simply for sharing virally every thought or dark place. That's not courageous, it's cavalier. And they consider the ramifications as if they're harbingers of truth saying, I used to think one way and I practice, practice it and preach it, but now I've learned all the new truth and will start practicing and preaching it. So the influencers become the voice for truth in whatever stage of life and whatever evolution takes place in their thinking. It says there's a common thread running through these leaders and influencers that basically says no one else is talking about the real stuff. This is just flatly false. I just read today in a renowned worship leader's statement, how could a God of love send people to hell? No one talks about it. As if he's the first person to ask this. Brother, you are not unique. The church has wrestled with this for 1,500 years, literally. Everybody talks about it. Children talk about it in Sunday school. There's like a billion books written on the topic. Just because you don't get the answer you don't want doesn't mean that we are unwilling to wrestle with it. We wrestle with scripture till we are transformed by the renewing of our minds. Most shocking, these influencers disavow their faith. They always end their statements with their new insight, new truth. It's basically a regurgitation of Jesus' words. It's truly bizarre and ironic. Say, I'm disavowing my faith, but remember, love people, be generous, forgive others. Why? That's not human nature. No child is ever born that says, I just want to love others before loving myself. I want to turn the other cheek. I want to give my money away to others in need. No, these are biblical principles taught by a prophet, priest, king of kings. He wants us to live by a higher standard, which is not an earthly standard, but rather the kingdom of God standard. I'm amazed that so many Christians want the benefits of the kingdom of God, but with the caveat that they themselves will be king. He ends by saying, I implore you, please, please, in your search for relevancy for the gospel, let us not find creative ways to shape God's word in the image of our culture by stifling inconvenient truths. Rather, let us hold on even tighter to the anchor of the living word of God, for he changes not. Grass withers, flowers fade away, the word of our God stands forever. John Cooper is addressing people that look like believers, but they did not have the fruit. God is the one who separates the wheat from the weeds. We do not. I'd like to, wouldn't you like to help God out by separating the wheat from the wheat? Sometimes I want to, that's God's business, not mine. So there's an explanation of this parable. In fact, Matthew 13 has, it's, a, it's an interesting chapter because Jesus gives two point-by-point explanations of his parables, a lot of times he doesn't give those, but he gives it on the parable of the soil that we'll discuss down the road here in this series, and he does it for this parable as well. It's in this same chapter, Matthew 13, beginning with verse 37. They ask, the disciples asked to explain the parable, and he says, the one who sowed the good seed is the son of man, Jesus himself. The field is the world, and the good seed stands for the people of the kingdom. The weeds are the people of the evil one, and the enemy who sows them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age, So here's the explanation, and, and here's, here's what I glean from this, and, and i just hoping it might uh, spur your thinking and help you a bit. I think this parable is written in part to let you and me know that the story is not done yet. Your story, my story, it's not done yet. The fruit's not all in, and the kingdom is all about fruit. What kind of fruit will I produce? What kind of fruit will you produce? One of my favorite places going to Publix is the fruit department. Do you like the fruit department of Publix? There's just all this fruit. I mean, it's just all lined up. It's perfection. I'm standing in front of just a, a whole table full of apples, I'm admiring the apples. I'm going, you know, this is a continual thing. They have to continue to, to restock this. Fruit's not all in. The fruit's not all in yet. The harvest has not taken place. God's in charge of that harvest. And the fact that our story isn't done yet, I need to realize, I think we all need to realize that the kingdom and conflict come hand in hand. There is an enemy. There's nothing that you do that's good, nothing that I do that's good, that is easy. It always comes with a price. I'll be 70 in two months. I'm glad my story is not done yet. I'm glad it's not done yet. I hope it's got a few more chapters left. My mother was 26 in 1944, the latter end of, of World War II. She was a, a single mom with two children, a girl and a boy. Divorced at the age of 22, no financial support from her ex-husband, no high school education. Not a great outlook for someone in that situation. And by mail, she met a, a, a man who was in the Navy in the South Pacific. They met the ensuing months, and uh, by May of 1945, a year later, they were married. In uh, that young man's uh, church that he grew up in 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 Northwest Ohio, small Lutheran church. That man became my father. Uh, My mom and dad had four children uh, in their marriage, uh, one that died at two years of age, and myself, my two younger brothers. Parents are married for 49 years. My mom's story wasn't over. And you might despair and, and they have times where you think, oh, this is too hard to bear. Your story's not over. God's in control. God's patient. And he's righteous. So, what do we do with this? What do I do with this? Here's, here's my takeaway. You ready? I don't want to be a weed. I don't want to be a weed. I don't want to be the enemy within the camp. I don't want my fruit to be poisonous to others. Interesting, as Jesus giving this parable, he's got his 12 disciples, other disciples as well, but the 12 who are closest to him, you know who one of those disciples was? Judas Iscariot. Judas, who would betray him. Judas, who was the weed amongst the wheat. But that didn't mean that the other 11 were pristine. They had battles to fight too. Peter denied Jesus three times the day before his execution. There were battles going on. Am I going to be someone who's going to produce bad fruit or good fruit? A weed or will I be the wheat? I see that I'm not called to be a fruit inspector. I I don't have to be the one that decides. God decides. And I'm called, and I believe all of us who believe in Jesus are called to do this. We're called to continue to produce good fruit. Toward the end of this chapter, Jesus says, Therefore, every teacher of the law who has become a disciple in the kingdom of heaven, where I want to be and where I know you want to be, is like the owner of a house who brings out of his storeroom new treasures as well as old. You and I need to be in the process of producing the fruit that God's called us to produce. Robert Hansen, over those years uh, when he was a spy, he gave thousands of secret documents to the Soviet Union. Uh, Weapons development, military plans, Spies and counter spies, he, he did it all. He did it all as far as we can understand just for financial reward. He was paid millions of dollars for his betrayal. He set it up so he never personally met any Soviet agent. He did it all uh, over, the, over the phone and uh, no one ever saw his face. And uh, the FBI knew that they were compromised. They, they finally realized that there was a spy. They didn't know who it was. They had to pay an ex-KGB agent $7 million to hand over a tape of his voice. And they finally, through that tape, realized that it was Robert Hansen. And on February 18th, 2001 in Vienna, Virginia, they arrested him as he tried to make another drop of secret documents. 18 years later, he sits in a maximum security prison in somewhere in Colorado having betrayed his country, and he'll be there for the rest of his life. You know what the interesting thing is? He had a job. He had performance reviews. No one knew it. I'm sure he got great performance reviews until they realized who he really was. The Justice Department issued a statement when they discovered him. He says it was possibly the worst Intelligence disaster in U.S. history. I want my fruit to be pleasing to God. And so I want to encourage you with the words of David in Psalm 19. He ends that beautiful Psalm with these words, and they are words that I, I'm called to do and, and uh, I will allow God to call you to do in the same way. He says this, Search me, O God. Search me. And know my heart. Test me. And know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive or hurtful way in me. And lead me in the way everlasting. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for this parable. Thank you for the challenge of it. I pray that... um, I and every man and woman here would be able to hear your voice and do your will. I pray for my fruit and the fruit of of each person, that it would be fruit that would be pleasing to you. Lord, if there's anything in my life or anything in the lives of any man or woman here that's displeasing to you, that's producing things that are wrong and hurtful to the kingdom, I pray by your power and with your encouragement, they will be confronted and, and we will live lives according to your will. Thank you, Lord, for this challenge. Thank you for your son, whose name we pray. Amen.